Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. One thing you may not know about your rabbi is that he can be a wimp. I was, you know, praying about this Torah portion, Shalach, when, as was shared by Brandon, when the spies went out to take a look at the land and 10 said, Nuh-uh-uh. And two went, yeah, because God is with us. Amen. And if God is with us, it doesn't matter if they're 100 feet tall. If God is with us, we will be successful. Amen. So I'm praying about that and praying about the, you know, the fear that the other 10 had to go into the land. And I was wondering and praying about and seeking, how, I, how can I make this real for myself? Like, because the Bible is personal. And when we read these stories, it's supposed to and meant to and does quicken us and speaks to us about our lives. The word of God is there to, to break what's not of him, to grow from immaturity to maturity what is of him. And we know that what is not of him is fear. So as I read this, I'm like, okay, what is something that I'm afraid of that needs to break? And what came to me was jumping in my pool when the water is as cold as it is now. Because it's not heated. And we're still kind of in the beginning of the season. And every now and again, I have this desire to go into the pool. And I go to the, I got my swim trunks on. And I, I go to the edge of the pool. And I'm like. <laughs> and I go back inside. But I was committed this morning. To go out. And conquer that fear. Because the Lord is with me. And fear is a liar. So I go out with my swim trunks, go to the edge, and I went. So then I said, Ooh. <laughs> So then I'm like, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to go to the shallow end, and I'm going to step down on the stairs. And I get down to one of the lower steps, and my legs are freezing. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay here until my legs just come to temperature and get used to it. And it never happened. And I finally resolved... This pool is just too cold to go in. And I was about to come out of the pool when all of a sudden the back door swings open. Susie comes running out in her swim trunks, goes to the deep end of the pool, off goes the slipper, off goes the slipper, boom, and she goes. 
without even thinking. Just this morning. So, when I saw her do it, I was motivated and encouraged. So I get out of the shallow end where my legs were, and I go to the deep end, and I go to the edge, and I go... And she goes, don't be a wimp, just come in. It'll be better once you're in. And there was the revelation from God. So I went... <laughs> Jumped in. And she, you do not need to applaud my wimpiness. But the message in it is that the things that we fear often don't happen when we are approaching a situation that can cause us to be scared to enter into it, our minds can go to places that have really nothing to do with the situation. God saw the situation, and if he called you to do it, he will equip you at that moment. But what we do is overthink things from a place of fear. And what the place of fear will do, it will concoct 20 different possibilities of what will happen if you enter into this thing. And there's a high probability that none of them will ever happen. We do two things when we enter into difficult situations, especially like confrontation. We do two things. One, we think of 100 things to say before it happens. And then after it's all done... We think of a hundred things, oh, we should have done that. I should have said this. If I only said this. You ever come out of a confrontation like, oh, if I only said this. We think of the best stuff after. But didn't Yeshua say that when people come, they're going to come and they're going to crucify you and they're going to come and they're going to persecute you. Don't even think about what you're going to say. Don't even think about what you're going to do because the word's going to come out of you at that moment. Why? He says, because it'll be the Holy Spirit speaking. Which means that we have the ingredient of what we need when we're about to enter into a difficult situation. And I don't know why, well I guess I do know why in retrospect, but why, you know, it could have been a lot easier if when the people entered into the promised land, that it could have been like an unoccupied land. It could have been an easy land. It, they, they could have, instead of giants, there could have been like little short people. Like maybe the kingdom was like hobbit land. Hobbiton, you know, and the, the Israelites go, ah, get out of here, you little punk. You know what I mean? But no, God get, brings them into a land that is seemingly bigger than they are. There's amazing revelation in this. God knows what we need. He knows what we can do. He knows what he can't do. He is a good, good father. It's amazing that in the beginning of the journey of the Israelites, as they were leaving Egypt... They could have went through the land of the Philistines, it says. But God redirected them because they didn't, God did not want them to see war. The same God that said, it's time to go in and take this thing, a year prior said, don't go this way. You're going to see war and it's going to freak you out. This is how good he is. 
He, if he's bringing you to a place of challenge or of confrontation or of difficulty, if you, if you have to go through it, he's going to equip you to go through it. Amen. And I hate to tell you this, but the road to the kingdom is paved with difficulty. The road to the kingdom is paved with challenge. And things that might freak you out and things that might scare you and make you feel like the little insect compared to the giant. But if God is with you, you will be successful. And there's so many sermons about it because it's easy to make sermons about it. We can take the land. We can take the land. We can take the land. But the lesson in this is not just that we can take the land. Because there might be some lands that God says, stay away from that. Like he did with the Israelites in the beginning. Don't go there. Don't see war there. But over here, go. I'm with you. We see the children of Israel. Like we know the 10 spies, the 12 spies went in. The 10 said, oh, no way. We're not doing it. They're too big. They got good food over there. You know, they got big grapes. We can make a whole lot of jelly to put on this disgusting manna. Maybe they'll have some peanut butter also. So they have a lot of food. It's a land of milk and honey. Maybe that means there are a whole lot of cows and goats and bees. But no, those giants in the land, we can't take them. The lesson in this for us is not always to say we can take the land. We can take the land. We can take the land. The lesson is knowing when God is saying take the land and know when he's saying don't. Because we see the children of Israel, they, 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 God said it's time through Moses, it's time to go. It's time to go. Isn't that a shame that it was time to go? We are only like a year away from their, out of their exodus from Egypt and God is saying it's time to go in. This whole thing didn't mean to be 40 years. It could have been a year. It's time to go in. And they said no. And then once the punishment and the verdict came down from heaven, they went, okay, we'll go in. <laughs> Do you know the story? After Moses said, you're not going in. You're staying in this for 40 years. Your children are going to go in. The ones that you said are going to die in this wilderness, they're not going to die. They're going to enter into the kingdom. You're going to die. And we're not, we're not going anywhere until your bodies are laid waste in this wilderness. How many people want a word from the Lord? Come on, somebody. Bless the Lord. Janet still raised her hand. She's like, I don't care what it is. If it's from the Lord, I want to hear it. Even if it's a difficult word. If it's from God, I want it. If it's from God, I want it. If it's from God, I want it. I need you to go through this. If it's from God, I want it. If it's to break in me a fear what's not of him, I want it. You know what, when I'm, I used to say, I used to say, I used to say, I used to say that I wasn't really good at confrontation because I didn't like it. And I used to say that very much. I'm not good at confrontation, you know, when somebody comes and wants to tell me how terrible of a rabbi I am or my message stunk or anything like that, you know, I'm like, oh, here we go again. I ain't got to do Well, you know, that really wasn't very biblical. You know, I'm not really a big fan of this stuff, but that's how I used to be. Now, I don't want to say that I crave it, but I know 
that there's growth in it. Because there's growth in difficulty. Seeds need to crack for the growth to come out. Seeds need to crack open. Difficult things are very, very often from God. The road to the kingdom is paved with giants and difficulty. So the children of Israel, it was time for them to go in, and they said, nuh-uh. That's Hebrew. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God said, you're not going in. You're going to die here. And they said, okay, we'll go in. And they go, and they got beat. What a blessing to know when God is saying yes and when God is saying no. And to be able to listen to him and obey him. Because we are post-Pentecost right now. And that, keeps, that theme keeps coming to me. That Pentecost is not just a moment. Shavuot, the Jewish holiday, which is what it is, is not just a moment. It, it's about what comes after. He doesn't equip us to have a service. He doesn't equip us with his spirit to just have a holiday and go back home. He equips us with his spirit. And if there's anything that was poured out at Pentecost, it's the spirit of prophecy. If there's anything. Amen. Yeah, all the Pentecostals are like, amen. And everybody else is like. <laughs> the spirit of prophecy yeah. was poured out. It even says in the Revelation that Yeshua, I'm paraphrasing, is the spirit of prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's, and the spirit of prophecy, what is the spirit of prophecy in a nutshell? It's hearing God correctly and then acting from it. Because speaking prophecy is not just, I'm going to say what I want to say. It's actually, speak, it's actually speaking God's words. So post-Pentecost, what an incredible message, an incredible theme that we encounter this. To hear God and to act from God. And to know when he's saying yes and to know when he's saying no. And it's not easy. And I'll tell you, of all the generic questions I get from congregants, it's, how do you hear from God? I get that fairly often. Like, how do you, and, you know, it could be defeating because everybody has a different relationship with God. Some people are just like, well, God told me this, and 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 God told me this. And people are like, so other people are like, I don't, I'm just not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I understand that. And I relate to it. Because not only am I a wimp, I'm not of the group that is just constantly hearing the audible voice of God. It's just not how it, it works for me. You know, it just, just isn't. Um, most of my quiet time with God is actually in sermon preparation. And it's in my car. You know, and some people say, well, you, you know, if you want to... And I agree with it. I totally agree. If you want to hear from the Lord, you need to be engaged in relationship. And I challenge you, everybody, with that. You need to be in relationship. How do you hear from God? Talk to him. But that's hard for people. And I understand that because everybody, we had this attention deficit thing going. We're like, you know, we start to pray to God. And the next, the next thing we know, we're thinking about our breakfast. That's, that's why the car works well for me, because I'm really undistracted. You know what I mean? Like, my morning is, is kind of a distracted time. You know, I wake up at, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock. You know, I got to feed the cat. 
I, I got to caffeinate the wife. I got to caffeinate myself. In that order. You know, I got to change the litter. I got to do this. I got to I gotta have some breakfast. I got to poop and I got to do this. I got to change the litter and I got to poop again. And then I got to, you know, make the bed and I got to poop. Yeah, th hey, thank God for gastric motility. I'm all over it. And then very healthy. And, and then I go work out and then I got to get ready for work and I make my, my lunch and I'm off. And then I'm in the car and I'm like, ah. But everybody needs to, post-Pentecost, seek God and hear his voice and be able to act on his voice. Thank you, Paula, and be still and know. And I think one of the downfalls of American Christianity is just, we just don't know how to be still. We see this with the Shabbat. Shabbat is 24 hours of really doing nothing. It's not a two-hour service. For all you folks who think you're doing great for keeping a Shabbat, sorry, you're not. Shabbat is 24 hours of doing nothing. And God, for some reason, thinks we need it. So we don't know how to be still. Paula knows how to be still. But we don't know how to be still. You know, but there are things that we definitely can do to enhance our relationship with God. And, and you know, when, when we feel that God is, is talking to us, you know, sometimes we're like, I don't know if it's God, I don't know if it's us. Do you know that you have a right to just wait on things? Do you have a right to just wait and sit and pray? We have a right to. You know, there was a, there's a Mishkanite that came to me recently, very, very recently. Uh, this Mishkanite has been coming here for five years. And this Mishkanite said to me, you know, the Lord just spoke to me. I said, what's that? And uh, she said, I'm staying at Mishkan. I'm like, you just got that after five years of being here? That's good. Wait on it. You know, wait. If you're not sure it's from the Lord's, wait. He'll clarify. You know, it's, it's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. So post-Pentecost... Let's ask God to enhance our ability to hear his voice in the way that he will speak to us, in the method that he will speak to us. I, I know, I feel I know when God's talking to me. But may we hear his voice and act on it. Because that is the post-Pentecost message. And that's actually the lesson of this. Of the, it's not just we can take the land, we can take the land, we can take the land. It's knowing when God's saying, stay away from that land. You could take this, but not this. And I know there are people here that need to hear that. You can take this, but you can't take this. To know his yeses and to know his noes. And know that his no is a yes and amen because all things are yes and amen in him. So when he's saying, no, thank you, Adonai, for your nose, how many times do we need to thank God for what he keeps us away from? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. 
You never need to fear and ask, is that from God? It's not. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We know, we know, we know that you call us, Adonai, to enter into difficult situations. We know there are difficult situations in front of us. Help us, Adonai, to know your yeses and your noes. Help us to know, Adonai, when you're saying, stay back. I got this. Isn't it great that the Bible has verses that for everything, like, the Bible has verses, you can take the land, we can take the land. And then there's the verses like, the battle's not yours. You can take the land. Fight. Don't fight. Father, it is post-Pentecost, and we want to hear your voice. We want to hear what you're saying. Thank you, Adonai. And we know that you're a good, good father. You see, the, the, the children of Israel, we, they went through it for our, for, our, for our point of view, and they went through it for, our, our, for a lesson for us, for our benefit. And God is so good. Because if God's saying, don't go there, and us in our limited hearing go, I'm going to go there. He's faithful. He's faithful because he's a good father. Maybe he'll correct you there. Maybe he'll pull you back. Maybe the phone will ring and you won't be able to go there. But he's a good father. But let's get in the habit post-Pentecost, of listening for his voice and obeying his voice. What would, one of my favorite expressions is, what would Jesus do? I love that. It's a great thing to ask in every situation. And we can even make it contemporary. And now, what is Jesus doing now? What is he doing now? What is he doing? Because I don't just want to do what he's doing. He always did what the father's doing. I want to do what he's doing. Now. What is he doing in this situation? Father, give us eyes to see what, how you see situations and not how we see it. Because our eyes are broken and everything is blended. And we see things and it's, it's intertwined with our own thoughts and our own feelings. And... Father, help us. Help us to focus on you. Father, you're seeking a body right now that is just, that's lockstep with you, Father. And I just pray that you enhance that ability right now in us, in Yeshua's name. And I'm grateful that this Torah portion ends with the tying of the tzitzit. Now, I think everything is in the Torah sequentially for a reason, in sequence. In the sequence, it is for a reason. And I find it very interesting that after... Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's children, offered unauthorized fire and did something that was kind of unkosher and got punished for it. Right after that, we see the laws of kosher and unkosher foods. And I think it's connected. 
I think God is saying, here's an example of something clean and unclean that happened with people. And now I'm going to teach you how to separate clean and unclean and distinguish clean and unclean in a very simple way with simple little animals so you can do it in greater areas as you walk about your life. So here in this Torah portion, we see the people of Israel chickening out, not hearing God correctly, not trusting God, allowing their fear to overwhelm their faith. And after that sequence, at the end, very end of this Torah portion, we have the tzitzit. And let me explain what that is for those who don't know. Yeah. He instructs the people of Israel to tie tassels, in Hebrew it's tzitzit, on their garments. So they'll look at it and remember God and remember his ways over our own ways. That's what it says. So you look at these, you remember my commandments and not just do what's in your own heart, but do what's in my heart. And make sure you make a blue thread. For those who like symbolism in the Bible, what does the blue stand for? It's, it's heaven. It's heaven. Even Moses and Aaron and others, when they had the vision and were eating with God, they were on a sapphire floor. The blue is, is heavenly things. It's spirit. But all the other strands are the strands of our life. And if you notice the way it is tied... It's the blue thread. It's the thread of heaven that wraps around all the others. It's wonderful how it's, been, it's, how it's uh, come about traditionally. It's seven wraps, then eight wraps, then 11 wraps, then 13 wraps. And that number totals 39. It's the same number if you add up the letters, the numeric of the letters of God is one. The Spanish Jews have a different tradition. They wrap it... Um, 10, 5, 6, 5. Because those are the numbers, numeric equivalents of the letters yud Hey vav Hey, the name of God. And that's all with the blue thread. So all the white threads. This is your family. This is the doctor's appointment that you need to go to. This is the third letter saying you're delayed on your mortgage. This is the temptation that you're trying to avoid and now is you have this opportunity to do something that you really don't want to do this is it this is the fight you have with your spouse this is your moment with your boss who hasn't been treating you very well 
These are the things we worry about. These are the things we're scared of. These are the things that we're concerned about. The blue thread is heaven. It wraps around all of it. That's what happens with the tzitzit. The white threads is everything that's happening in our lives, our family challenges, our financial challenges, everything. The blue thread is heaven. It wraps around all of it. And that's God. He's got you wrapped in his arms. Thank you, Father. I got a couple of, for anybody that wants, maybe there's probably some scissors back there from the church here. Feel free to take some white. Feel free to take some blue. Feel free to take it home. If you want to know how to tie it traditionally, I could talk to you later. But feel free to take it. And just know that those white strands in the tzitzit represent the things that you're fearful of. And the blue strand that surrounds it represents God, that he's got it. In Yeshua's name. Was that a praise or a question? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, the woman with the issue of blood, she touched it. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Father. And that came from Malachi, where it says the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The word, the Hebrew word, kanaf, is for the corner, which is the same place that these things are tied. So that's why she grabbed the corner of his garment. Thank you, Father. Yep, yep. It's the corner of the garment. This is where she grabbed. This is where she grabbed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless you. Thank you, Father. The skydiving story? Yeah, it's another. You guys know the skydiving story, right? One of the first dates I had with Susie was skydiving. And it was another story of where you can be fearful, but once you enter into the thing, and thank you for reminding me of that because that's really a lesson. Remember that if there's something that you're fearful of and you have to do it, once you're in it, it's not going to be what you think. It's not going to be what you think. It's the lesson of the pool. When you're in it, it doesn't feel cold. So we were skydiving. So one of our first dates was back in 1996. We decided to go skydiving. And it was in New Jersey. And we um, so go to this place. And so we were in our little outfits, not swim trunks. And we were ready to go in this rickety plane to go up. Now, it was a tandem skydive. Does anybody know what a tandem skydive is? It means a professional is, is latched onto you. Right? You're not alone when you're doing it. It's a professional latched onto you, like on your back. And we go on the plane, and just like with the pool, I'm like, <laughs> now I am trying to woo this woman, right? And I'm trying to be macho, but I was a wimp, as I can be, and she was a champ, as she is, and she was no problem whatsoever, and my face is like green because I'm like, I'm so scared. So finally, we're up there at a certain altitude, and it was time to go, and the door opens, and I just remember this vision of of Susie with the, with the guy that was attached to her jumping out of the plane. I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl that I'm dating just jumped out of a perfectly good plane. Like, I remember watching it. I was so afraid. And then the guy that was attached to me said, go to the door and look out. 
So I go to the door and I, I look out and I look down. Susie, oh, I forgot to say this. When we, when we first went there, they asked us, when we jump out of the plane, we had two options. One of them was to go, you know, out of the plane into free fall position. And one of them was to go out of the plane, do a somersault, and then go into, and then go into, uh, and then go into free fall position. Guess who wanted the regular position? And guess who wanted the somersault? So we do the somersault. So she goes out of the plane. The guy that's attached to my back says, why don't you go out the door and look out the door and take a look. So I, I look out the door. Susie is mid-somersault. She is face up like this. And then, poof, she actually fell into a cloud. Like I watched her disappear. Like, my Christian girlfriend just went to hell for dating an atheist Jew. I don't know. Poof, down she went. That's what I literally saw. And now it's my turn. So I go to the edge. He told me what to do. He told me to put my foot on the wing. So my foot's like this. <laughs> of course it is. So finally, he said, all you need to do is, all you need to do is roll over. Just roll forward. Okay? So I roll forward out of the plane. And I did what any macho man would do in the midst of a somersault. After I jump out of a plane, I, I shut my eyes. I missed the whole thing. God bless Susie. She obviously had her eyes open the whole somersault. I shut my eyes. I decide I'm just going to shut my eyes through the whole thing. So I eventually get into free fall position. And I open my eyes. And all of a sudden, I realized... This is not scary. I was concerned because, like, I'm very sensitive to movement, like, on roller coaster things, you know, and going up and down. Like, I didn't want to feel, you know, that sensation, you know, when you're, the things in your stomach just kind of, I didn't want that for a whole two miles of free fall or whatever it was. But I didn't feel any of it. It doesn't even feel like you're falling because you're so far high above the ground, it's not coming towards you at that point. So all it felt like, I was laying on like this enormous fan. That's what it felt like. And it was such a gentle, even when the parachute got pulled, it was so gentle um, that I, when I landed, your knees don't even buckle. It's just that, you know, because the parachute, you're able to pull it and it kind of descends a little bit and, doink, and down it goes. Uh, the lesson is similar to the pool. When you're in it, he'll bring you through it. it. Michelle's still not doing it. But if you're in it, and he's called you to do it, he'll bring you through it. And the ten things that are worrying you about it won't even happen. In Yeshua's name, they won't happen. Because that's just from our heads. And he said, above all that we can ask, all that we can hope for, all that we can think, all that we can imagine. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem. Let's stand up. We'll close the service.